0: episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WBEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro your community radio station I'm your host Olga Peters and today you have moi and the lovely regular contributor Emily Kornheiser who is has been elected a second term or, or I, I guess we say rep elect
1: <laughs> um, well I'm the rep I think you're only representative when it's your first time.
0: Okay. Because
1: I'm still a representative. the biennial, I'm still representative yeah. until I get re-sworn in. Does that make sense? It
0: does, but it's not so much okay. fun to say.
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> anyway, Emily is the representative for <laughs> one of the representatives for Brattlebrow. So glad to have you here today, Emily.
1: So glad to be here, Olga.
0: And we are basically debriefing. From the little thing that people may have noticed happened on Tuesday, which is elections. And while we are still waiting for the federal official results to come in, we are fairly certain. I mean, we're pretty certain about Vermont results, with the exception of maybe one or two recounts.
1: But Mm
0: -hmm. Vermont, we're pretty much good to go on.
1: Except for the Speaker of the House.
0: Right. That was the one I was thinking of. (laughs) That might be a recount. That's going to be interesting. So Emily, congrats on being reelected to your seat. And now that we have had our elections and we, yes, we are still waiting about the president, but I am curious, as far as Vermont elections go, were there any surprises for you?
1: Whew, surprises. Um, (laughs) No, 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 there weren't, I'm sorry. I was really hunting for some and there weren't. Um, There were disappointments, but not a lot of surprises. Mm -hmm. Um, We knew the speakers race would be close. Mm We had a strong feeling that David Zuckerman would not become our next governor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Had a feeling that um, Molly Gray
0: would be, Gray a, would would be yes. Lieutenant governor. Would be elected
1: Lieutenant Governor in a fairly close race. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew our senators would coast to victory over here in Wyndham County. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very pleased with my votes in Brattleboro. And yeah, no, I don't think there were any big surprises. There were some races that were close and some races that were, um, you know, went not necessarily the direction that we wanted to in the closeness, but I don't think there were any big surprises. I What is surprising, the most surprising to me, which is not, um, the surprise isn't in the results, but in the interpretation of the results. Oh. And I don't know if you want to jump to that or if that's too early on in our conversation to start talking about talking. Um, let's I get some, to okay.
0: that in a second, because yeah. I was watching, of course, the results as they came in. And I would have to say I wasn't really surprised, but there were a few moments that I thought, hmm, that's interesting. One, I had a feeling Governor Scott would be reelected for a couple of reasons. One, we love to reelect an incumbents in Vermont. And two, I think for a lot of people in this time of uncertainty in the pandemic, you know, he has gotten us through whether you like how he's gotten us through or not. I think for a lot of people, he feels safe right now. Mm-hmm. Um, all fair enough. What, it did surprise me that David Zuckerman didn't receive more votes. Mm. I did expect him to get more votes.
1: The Wyndham County bubble is a powerful, perceptive shield against the rest of the state, Olga.
0: True, but he <laughs> only won Wyndham County by, like, one vote. Which made me go, huh. <laughs> and I did expect him to take more, like, his hometown or more around Chittenton which tends to go very um, progressive or, or yeah. blue. And I also found it interesting in the Deerfield Valley, there were a couple of races I was watching in part wow. because there were Republican or other independent candidates going against the incumbents, particularly Laura Sebelia and John Gannon. Mm-hmm. And they did nothing in the way of campaigning that I saw. And yet, they received quite a few votes for people who had done absolutely nothing for campaigning against the incumbents. And that, I. That's true of my challenger,
1: too, actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He did not run any kind of campaign that I really saw, or you really saw. And yet, he received a fair number of votes, which just makes me wonder you know it makes me assume that a lot of people were looking at these names and seeing the r next to them and checking the box mm-hmm. um and it it makes me wonder if there are some shifting tides or something like that happening especially in the deerfield valley
1: mm-hmm.
0: um those those caught me that those caught my attention mm-hmm. Um, It also caught my attention that uh, Carolyn Partridge, who has served for quite a while up in Mm -hmm. the Rockingham-Wyndham area, and the the newcomer, Leslie Goldman, Mm -hmm. um, received more votes than she did, which in general, incumbents tend to do really, really well in Vermont. Mm -hmm. And again, that just I just marked that as interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So those were those were some of my responses to the statewide votes.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, I think we would be um, remiss in not commenting on how sort of frazzled and raw we both feel today. Um, And Mm, yes. And that so much is still unknown at the national level, um, both in terms of what the results of the count will be, but also what the reaction to completing the count will look like um, or whether we will be able to complete the count and count every ballot, though it is looking like that's a strong possibility at this point. And I'm really heartened to see that that um, piece of our democracy is intact. Yeah. went to the count every vote vigil last night on the common yeah thought I would see you there but Randy was there instead. Randy was there instead um, yes had a good chat with him good Not the same as seeing you Sorry Randy for listening. Um, and it was interesting to see you know some folks were there um, with big sort of f the f the something signs or um, real, like, you know, righteous, ready in the streets energy. And some people were there um, in a much sort of fragile, scared energy. Mm -hmm. Um, I certainly felt more sort of on the raw side and less on the fighting side myself. Um, Mm -hmm. Lack of sleep does that to me personally. Um, And I will just
0: tell listeners that Emily and I both kind of, self-medicated Tuesday night with episodes of the Great British Baking Show. I actually
1: did not watch the Great British Baking Show. I was going to, we I think we texted at like one in the morning. Yep. And I was about to watch the Great British Baking Show and um put myself to bed and my laptop died and I decided it wasn't worth going to find a cord. And so I just listened to a podcast and fell asleep. That works um, too. Yeah. But I, you know, in this time, it was interesting how the, the remarks that I gave and the remarks that all of the other organizers gave at the, um, that all the organ- I wasn't one of the organizers, so that all the organizers gave at the event um, were very much focused on people calming themselves and centering themselves so that they're ready for whatever comes next. Mm-hmm. Um, And that we can't sort of waste our energy right now freaking out because we might need that energy later.
0: That is a very, thank you for sharing that. I think I needed to hear that. I was telling Emily before we started recording that I tend to be a bit of a Pollyanna optimist and uh, for better or for worse, but and, and I'm glad to be wired that way. But there are times where it kicks me right up the backside, because after the last four years we've gone through, and this pandemic, I just really assumed that when the results started coming in on the national election, that the national map would look different. Mm -hmm. And it compared to four years ago, Mm -hmm and in many ways it does not Mm -mm. and I I just watched I, I I was looking at the guardians website and just watching the states turn different colors and just sitting there going but wait a minute did did no one notice the last four
1: years well so I think that's some of the lessons learned um or observations about Vermont that I sort of had about the national level and I didn't quite have about Vermont yet um, mm-hmm. that I'm taking from this election cycle. And part of it is, you, know, you say the lessons of the last four years but everyone experienced the last four years through a very different media filter. Yeah. Um, Good point. And from a very um, different understanding of who will solve their problems and how those problems should be solved. And so everything goes through that filter as well. And so the person who's the right person to solve those problems is a very different person as well. And I think when I looked at what happened in the statewide elections, you know, I've seen um, Laura Sibilia commented that, you know, look, you know, you see the maps of the three sort of races in Vermont, um, the three statewide races, you know, you see the map of, Biden's, you know, like full victory in Vermont of the governor of Governor Scott's full victory and of um, Molly's victory. And if you put them, I don't know if, you know if you've seen them all three next to each other Mm -hmm. and just colored red, blue, but it looks like one's totally red, one's totally blue and one's like a perfect hybrid of the two. And you could say, you know, Laura's lesson from that. And I don't want to, you know, speak for Laura and this is something that she just like sort of said lightly on social media, like look, we have a purple state. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't I don't think that's the lesson. I think the lesson is that people. um, Those are three very different candidates who speak very different languages to voters um, and have very different theories of how to get things done and have very different ways of identifying what the problem is. Mm and. That I think is really what's resonant for people. I think we're very much beyond the red-blue divide, even though our media still describes it that way or electoral maps, maps still describe it that way. And I'm like very much not the first person to say this. I don't want any, in any way anyone to think I think that I like came <laughs> up with this idea myself. Um, <laughs> but it's so, it's so extra clear to me in Vermont um, and it's very clear on the national level, and Masha Gessen, who's a um, pretty brilliant journalist and political commentator, who came here as a refugee from, um,
0: I don't remember.
1: Russia, I mean, she came from Russia, I'm trying to figure out a way to describe the Russia that from, you know, a Russia that's led by oligarchs, um, and so has a lot of lessons to sort of teach us about what it means to live under that kind of regime. Um, really talks about the deregulation of our media environment and Mm -hmm. that like the corporate ownership and deregulation of our media environment is what creates these totally different realities that people are different, but the level to which people believe completely different versions of the last four years is extraordinary. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, the so the sort of theory of how what our problems are and who knows that we have those problems all of us just want someone to say like i see you and i see you in your problems Mm -hmm. and we're all just getting very different versions of that and it takes so much time and energy to peel back the curtain and so many resources to peel back the curtain and it's, not, it's often not in a politician's best interest to take the time to do that with someone. That is a very good point. Um, Sorry, that's like way deep for. No, no,
0: no, no, don't apologize at all. Uh, we like, you know, geeky here on this show. I think what I'm sitting with right now is just based on what you just said, I, I agree with so much of it. And I'm not always a huge fan of how elections are reported on Mm -hmm. because sometimes they can be reported on as horse races Mm -hmm. and more about personalities than ideas um, or, or solutions or plans or, Mm -hmm. or what the, the candidate says Mm -hmm. they're going to do. Um, And, and I also agree with, I've had many concerns about the deregulation of media in that it has allowed just a few entities to own a lot of the media. Um, But I am going to push back a little bit because, and I'm going to bring this around to Trump, actually. Oh, good. I think one thing that a lot of people like about Trump, at least I'm thinking of the the folks in my circle who are pro-Trump, there's a simplicity to him, (laughs) uh, of, of, you know, and kind of, I think a simplicity that, that people who like to be dictators tend to have that I will take care of everything. And, and you can just kind of relinquish control to them. And I, I, I find a lot of folks in my circle kind of like that he's just going to fix everything.
1: Um, and but I think I, the flip side of that is that he, I think a lot of folks feel like he says it like it is. True. Good um, point.
0: What, how I'm going to tie that to media is, and what I want to push back on a little bit, is I hear a lot of, oh, the media. Mm. And it's all on the media. And I need to push back against that because people choose the media that they're going to listen to or they're going to read or they're going to, to watch. Mm-hmm. And there are media outlets out there that I think do a very poor job. There are some I think do a very good job. But to put it all on the media, I don't think is accurate because people are choosing the media that they consume.
1: And I I guess I'm not saying that I put it all on the media. I'm putting it on um, the the corporate ownership, not all of it, I'm putting some of it and actually I heard Masha Gesson say this as a reporter in a talk recently and I was like sort of pushing back in my head, like, no, these are about people making decisions, like just what you're saying. And it's the the incentives that corporate ownership of media puts in place for how, um, how conversations are driven And what conversations get focused on, and what sort of the drive for ratings versus quality um, Mm -hmm. that has to naturally happen in our larger media environments, Um, and how slow the change in that is. So you know, there's lots of parts of the country where you know every every restaurant, every grocery store, every wherever has a TV up and playing all the time with Fox News mm-hmm. and there's other parts of the country where that's C-SPAN and then there's Vermont where there's very few places where there are any TVs playing at all. <laughs> and so if you're in an environment where you ha- like culturally the majority listens to that particular media strain, you might not even realize that you're making a choice towards that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just sort of that's the station you listen to which I guess it might be NPR here. For lots of Vermonters, but
0: mm-hmm. well, uh, yeah, I, I hear that argument and I see what you're saying. Um, and thank you for clarifying that. I think that's why in many cases, uh, places like PBS were even first created. Um, is to have, you know, and why things like um, BB, the uh, BB, Brattleboro Community Television as a mm-hmm. as a public access, yeah. Station
1: exists, um, and And the Brattleboro Public Access Station we're fighting for right now, right? Because media was further deregulated, and the cable fees that paid for Brattleboro Community TV to exist don't aren't providing the same level of income that they used to, and so they need to find a whole new funding stream for themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. So. When I think about those, the different candidates that won and their ability um, to be frank with voters, I think that covers some of it. I think also um, the level of the Prague-Dem divide in the rest of the state, um, and even in Wyndham County is much realer than we often give it credit for. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think a lot of, there's a lot of democratic voters who feel just as um, loyal to the progressive party as they do to the Republican party. And that really surprises me as someone who's very much embraces both of my political identities. But I think for a lot of voters, um, they really saw, Lieutenant Governor Zuckerman as a progressive candidate, not as a Democratic candidate, even though that was sort of the ticket that he um, won the primary on.
0: Interesting.
1: And so I, you know, I talked to people who really sort of made that decision. They didn't feel like he was theirs, theirs to fight for, theirs to vote for.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And as far as Wyndham County goes, you know, Zuckerman did not do a whole lot of campaigning down here. So I don't know how well voters ever got to meet him or mm-hmm. hear his ideas. So how much do you think that played in, at least as far as Wyndham County goes into some of people's choices?
1: Um, in other words, you know, so all they
0: could see was Prague or Dem. Say that one more time. Because he didn't do a lot of campaigning down here. Mm-hmm the only real thing they had to go on was that yeah he was the lieutenant governor and he's he's running on you know he's either a progressive or a dem and yeah and
1: I think that you know because he was sort of a progressive first that made it easier to not have the party loyalty that people might have had when voting for Biden or Mm. voting for you know like there was a lot of emphasis on sort of voting the straight ticket Um, Mm. but because the P came first I think that helped also I mean I don't want to in any way discount the profound power of incumbency that Scott had in this election. I mean, he was on the radio every single day saying reassuring things to people. Yeah. I mean, there's like, that is huge. That's (laughs) huge. It's huge. And people, and he's incredibly skilled with his veto pen at always sort of walking the middle line that when he vetoes something that's like really hard for people, he always signs something at the same time that will ease the ease the angst and you know I think he does that from a place of political strategy it doesn't seem um I don't see a lot of um political philosophy cohesion in which is vetoed and which is not Mm -hmm. so that's that that's very real I mean yeah yeah yeah, I think yeah. So I don't want I don't want to draw meaning where there isn't. And I, you know, similarly the speaker's race I think is a similar place that a lot of meaning is being drawn that shouldn't be drawn from it.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a few minutes before we have to go to break. Anything you want to tie up for listeners cuz I feel like we did kind of around in circles a little bit.
1: Um I think nationally, I don't want to discount the power of race and racism and anxiety mm-hmm. and how disappointing that is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay.
0: I am still sitting with a lot of this week, so mm-hmm. I apologize for not sounding more profound. Um. <laughs> oh, I,
1: this is I, That's why I started this whole thing off by saying we should talk about how we are hmm Yeah, it's one cannot write history while it's happening, even though I guess that's your job, isn't it?
0: Uh yeah, but my job is only the first draft of history and then I have to write <laughs> a follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I I am also sitting with how you you talked a little bit about the Vermont bubble. I am also really sitting with, especially as a journalist, how different it was for me to write about these elections because while well, Vermont is far from perfect. I have confidence in our town clerks mm, and mm-hmm. I have confidence in our Secretary of State Jim Condos and I have confidence that there's no skullduggery happening <laughs> um, yes. and and that I think made this election very different for me than it did for many of my friends in other parts of the country
1: I think that is so important to talk about and thank you for bringing it up we I don't think there was enough conversation after the last election, the extent to which voter disenfranchisement both on the individual level and then on the systemic level led to the results that we got. Mm. And then in this round of the election, how polling does not take into account um, the kind of individual casual voter disenfranchisement that happens with long lines um, or trouble accessing absentee ballots or that kind of thing that's different and not better or worse than the terribleness of pe- people being taken off of voter rolls and not being able to you know vote even if they fight for it but polling doesn't take that into account right and so yeah. we are you know here in vermont it's it is it's so hard to project ourselves into the reality of so much of the rest of the country since the voting rights act has been gutted that I do, our town clerks do an incredible job. We have some of the earliest voting available in the country and we had ballots mailed to everyone and we had easy places to drop them off. And the only line we had in Brattleboro was like five minutes at the very beginning of the day because people were waiting outside the polls and our machines aren't like connected to the internet. And I mean, there's like so much there that's so available. People who are incarcerated in Vermont can vote while they're incarcerated. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think it's even just, and we're just about to have to go to break, but I'll make this, this one point, you know, it, I think it drove home for me when I was talking to friends, oops, I forgot to put that on silent, ignore that, um, talking to friends just over the line in Keene, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. who I said, oh, so did you mail in your ballots yet? Duh, assuming they were voting absentee, um, and they said, oh, no, um, in New Hampshire this year you could you could check covid as a reason not to go or why you need an absentee ballot but in general they were telling me in New Hampshire you have to have a reason to vote absentee a
1: really strong reason working yeah. is not a good enough reason i've had friends who couldn't the last election cycle who yeah yeah no it's wild
0: and and that is such a small thing but Uh, For folks who might have any kind of barrier, it's huge. Yeah. No, it's huge. huge. Um, Anyway. Oops, sorry. We're going
1: to break. Sorry. No, we're going to break. Okay. We are
0: going to break because the beep beep went off. Mm -hmm. We at the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WB. Here I'm WVEW one hundred seven point seven LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I am your host Olga Peters, and we are talking elections and what's next for Vermont. Here with Representative Emily Kornheiser. Welcome back, Emily.
1: Thanks, Olga. You know what I know about our show? What do you know? I know that the views and opinions expressed on this show are the opinions and views okay. of the host, Olga, the guest. Myself and nobody else, not the station. That's something I know about our show.
0: That is a good thing to know. It's good for our listeners to know
1: that too. I thought they might like to hear that.
0: <laughs> I appreciate it, Emily. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Okay. So Vermont mm-hmm. and the elections mm-hmm. and the landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, I'm feeling a lot hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. But it probably has.
1: Yeah. So we, um, the Dems lost a couple House seats, all in very close races. Um, and one of those House races um, was our Speaker of the House, Mitzi Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I think she filed for a recount today. Okay. Yeah, because it was like, what, 11 votes, 18 votes, something like that? You know, I should definitely know the exact number and I don't remember. It was less than 30. Yeah. Um, and the House Minority Leader, um, the leader of the Progressive Caucus, um, also lost his seat by a very close margin. Oh, wow. Robin, Ch- Robin chestnut Tangerman. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think a lot of people are drawing broad conclusions for what this means about a mandate from the voters and what this means for the party or the parties and sort of left vision across the state and um i don't think that's fair or appropriate no both of those folks have been operating in really um districts that tend to be sort of right on the edge every time. I think Mitzi's always had very, very close races. Yeah. Um, And it's really fascinating that we voted in a speaker two times um, who was in such tight races and had to be so careful about her Mm reelection. And so, you know, she's requested a recount. It is very close. We will see what happens, um, but that certainly puts a lot of things up in the air in the Vermont House, Mm -hmm. and then in the progressive party, um, the loss of Robin is really counterbalanced by a surge of some really strong, young female progressive candidates, new progressive candidates.
0: That's exciting.
1: Um, Yeah, it is exciting and it's really interesting.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, talking about voter mandates, I always, find that interesting when we try to ascribe something very specific to something that happens very quiet, you know, very personally. People go in, they mark their ballots, We, but we don't know why, we mm-hmm. can assume.
1: Um, but we don't know why.
0: But we don't know why.
1: We don't have exit polling here.
0: Right. I, I was just going to say that is a place where... Some kind of polling could actually be more useful afterwards mm-hmm. at exit polling, yeah. Yeah. to just say, okay, you know, why did you make the choices you did? Mm-hmm. Um, that would actually be kind of useful. Um, but as someone who is in the legislature, mm-hmm. when you see these results, um, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change that question. Sorry.
1: There's no need to apologize.
0: you're so good you're breaking me of that habit Mm -hmm. um you know how how do you decide or choose or find out what your constituents want because one thing about democracy is (laughs) it's run by those who show up
1: but sometimes Mm. those
0: who show up are squeaky wheels
1: so squeaky those wheels
0: and and not necessarily the majority of opinion so you know how is that for you like what do you do
1: um so i'll answer what i do personally and then there's some sort of theories around that so there's um what i did personally my first time around was i went and knocked on every single door and i had conversations at every single one of those doors um that were home yeah and left stuff for. You folks weren't talking to doors. <laughs> no, and my um, my campaign materials are very detailed, and mm-hmm. my website is very detailed about my policy proposals, um, and the sort of card I left is more detailed than is recommended. The type is, you know, the font is too small mm-hmm. um, for political stuff. And then I took all of those conversations I had, and I brought them with me to Montpelier. When I think about it, and then I also, you know, I. Post constituent conversations um every week that's very much a place where you know squeaky wheels tend to come rather Mm -hmm. than um you know the whole I mean obviously the whole town doesn't come to that um and then I tried to you know I tried to read the less virulent Facebook posts um to just sort of see like what are people asking questions about like what is something that people keep on asking for help with on Facebook, that there's like actually a service to help them with that, but they don't Mm -hmm. seem to know it exists, right? So Mm -hmm. I try to notice stuff like that. Um, And then this round of elections, um, that was really hard. And so I called a whole lot of people, Hmm. Um, but it's really very much not the same as knocking on people's doors.
0: Yeah.
1: Partly because, you know, I had someone answer the phone recently who, after I sort of said something and then paused, she said, oh, wait, are you a real person? And I was like, yes, I am. I'm a real person. Like I, you know, and it's hard because if you call enough, you know, most people aren't home, you leave enough messages that your voice sort of starts to become a little, my voice becomes a little rehearsed. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of people just, you know. I had two people hang up on me without saying anything. And I was like, I almost called them back and was like, you know, I am a real person. (laughs) You could say no thank you. Which like, there's nothing to be gained. So like, I did not do that. But I was just like, maybe they just didn't know it was me. Maybe they thought I was recording. I get recordings on my phone. Um, So those are things that I do. Um, And then I talk to sort of community agencies a lot and try to talk, you know, hear what their constituencies want. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Um, There are, you know, unions and associations that speak for their full memberships. And that's important, but it's less, it feels less meaningful to me than talking to sort of community level businesses about you know with their workers or with agencies about their constituencies because sort of the statewide needs of a constituency would be very very different from the county level or the town level needs of that constituency right so that's what i do but i think what's important to note about that is that there's different ways of doing that so there's something that in like organizing land is called deep canvassing or relational um, organizing and that's what I like to do, like, I'm happy to spend 45 minutes sitting and talking to someone because I'm not there to sell something, I'm there to listen and to get to know and have Mm -hmm. someone get to know me Um, rather than, and I tend to not even end my conversation with, can I have your vote? Um, Because that's for someone to sort of think on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's really different from, I think what, um, from persuasion canvassing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which is absolutely has its place, but it's about moving a specific idea forward, or it's about getting someone elected rather than as an opportunity to really hear from constituents. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's really nice about living in a district like Brattleboro that tends to be much more reliable democratic vote is I can do that without a real risk to my seat. I can sort of try it the other, you know, I can really do it the other way and trust that that system's gonna work. Um, and mm-hmm. then I can take the time to do that and really listen to people. Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I believe long-term it's better for the health of our community's democracy.
0: Yes, yes. The reason I, I asked that question, I know we're talking about the elections that just happened, but it feels right now more than ever that we have as a community some real conversations mm-hmm. and get very clear about what needs we have so we can start finding some definite solutions mm-hmm. and for some reason right now looking at these elections where I where I'm sitting with them that's what feels really important mm-hmm. Um, and it might be because, <laughs> again, my optimism catches me off guard sometimes. Um, it really surprises me how things often are concepts or needs. I, I was thinking about what you said about the print and the detail of your leave behind mm. campaign uh, information. You know, there's almost this sense that we we have to dumb things down for voters. And while there are low information voters and there are people who don't care, or there are people who are just so busy, they can't care. That doesn't mean they're stupid. No. And, and it seems sometimes like there's a disconnect there.
1: And that's what I was trying to get at when I was talking before um, about people really want people who are gonna solve real problems mm-hmm. and speak frankly about those problems. Yeah. And I think that is, um, I don't know if that's about assuming, it's assuming capability and capacity on the part of citizens. Okay. Um, and I think that's really important. And I think when we sort of, I think one of the dangers of, of serving, in, serving too long is that political language starts to become real to you. Mm, mm-hmm. um, as it, you know, any industry that you're in long enough, the language that people speak, you start to think that that's how other people speak. Right. Um, right, it's right. just inside talk. Yeah. So I wanna make sure that we, um, sort of with the speakers race um, that people, I, maybe I assume maybe people are interested in how that all works, because it's sort of bizarre palace intrigue fascinating if that's worth explaining how we wind up with a speaker of the house
0: no i think that yes yes i do think that's worth explaining
1: okay should we talk about it now or should we talk about that in a little bit
0: let's talk about it now because i want to make sure we get to what's next
1: okay um so the speaker is going to ask for a recount and um if that if it turns out that she did win um and some mistakes were made, or some ballots were um, miscounted, um, which would be a mistake. Um, then she would likely remain speaker, mm-hmm. though that's not guaranteed. Um, but otherwise, we elect a new one, um, and so that process usually starts within the dem- within the majority caucus, which in this state space is the democratic caucus. And we would sort of nominate who we would want the speaker to be. We would make that choice. And then that person would be put forward to the whole body for a vote. Um, And so that, because the speaker of the house is not just the sort of the leader of their caucus that's the majority leader they are in fact the leader of the entire body. And so Senator Ballant is likely going to be the new pro tem of the Senate, which is essentially like the Speaker of the House, but they Mm -hmm. call it the president pro tem. Um, And that person is the leader of the entire body, not just their caucus. Mm -hmm. Though it's, you know, if you're in the majority, then the majority is who chooses. That's that's the democracy again. Um, And that person, really has the power to decide what in a lot of ways what will pass or not because they get to decide what comes to the floor and and what doesn't so they decide where bills go which committees those bills go to which would give a different time a different experience for each bill Mm -hmm. they decide the schedule for the floor Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and they also decide the makeup of the committees
0: that is the part where i think they have the most power just personally yes yes
1: And so in the house, just the speaker gets to decide that. They do it in consultation with other people, but technically it's entirely their power. And it's not just the composition of the committee's influences what decisions get made in those committees, but the power to take someone on and off a committee provides a tremendous amount of leverage for people getting along or not getting along with the wishes of the speaker. Um, In the Senate, that is done by the committee on committees which is made up of the Lieutenant Governor, who will be Molly Gray, the pro tem who will likely be Senator Ballant, and then someone called the third member. Oh, that is a great name. Yes. I don't know, who that needs to be also, a title of the book. It's pretty amazing. Who is also elected by um, the body, similar to how the pro tem or the speaker would be elected. Mm-hmm. And again, that really happens sort of through palace intrigue by the caucus and then it's brought to the whole body. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. Are you reading a text message?
1: I am, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Busted! thank you for busting me I'm like it's the same way I told you about this is like meditating I like cannot
0: we are so fractured right now I
1: know I'm really (sighs) I have this theory that by tomorrow my like system will be recalibrated and I'll be ready for what's next Uh uh-huh but I don't it's like a theory I came up with two weeks ago it's like the Friday after the election that's when things will make sense
0: you know what I think you need to give yourself until Sunday night just like have a real blowout and then Sunday night be like, okay. Okay. Time to pull up the big person's pants. Yeah. At -hmm. least that's what I'm going to tell myself. Okay. Cool. Oh, that's brilliant.
1: Bring me back. Where, where are we, Olga? Um,
0: okay. Well, I think this is a great segue, uh, you know, talking about the, the speaker of the house talks a little bit about power and how, how things can or cannot move Mm -hmm. through, through the through the legislative process, but it brings me back and, and, you know, our discombobulation right now uh, also brings me back to what you said at the top of the show about um, conserving energy Mm -hmm. because we may have all sorts of feels right now, but the fact is that whoever becomes president Mm -hmm. and whatever happens in Vermont in the next biennium, the work isn't done. And there were problems before COVID. There were problems before the 2016 election that have not gone away. So for the, for Vermont, what is next? I mean, what, how do we move forward? Um, And where can people put their energy? So it's the most useful.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So mm-hmm. when I I'm when I look down now, I'm doodling. I'm doodling, doodling's um, okay. It that helps, helps the attention. Yeah. Um, so there's the there's the importance of the presidential election on you know basic civil and human rights, right? Mm-hmm. Not having babies in cages, making sure that women can access reproductive care, you know that kind of thing. The future yeah. of the courts. Um, labor laws, there's all of that. And that's very, 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 very important. And um, what we're going to need across the country as sort of the next step in COVID, in addition to the kind of sort of medical and policy interventions that need to happen in states other than Vermont, we're seeing increasing cases mm-hmm. is also, we just need significant federal financial resources. Yeah. Very badly. We needed another COVID relief package very, very badly months and months and months ago.
0: And Um, one that can be actually used in proactive ways.
1: Yes. One that can be used to bring benefits directly to people and directly into long-term planning. Mm -hmm. And so that's... that's going to be that's a really important part a geekier longer term part of why I as a legislator desperately want Biden to be elected Mm -hmm. um, and want to see a Democratic majority who I know will need significant pushback the same way our legislature in Vermont with a Democratic majority still needed significant pressure to ensure that that money was going to Vermonters right and to pause enough to do long-term planning because we're all in panic state, hard to do long-term planning from panic state. Mm-hmm. Um, Imagine that. But, you know, <laughs> biology, it's the worst. Um, but that's really, that is the next step. It's really figuring, you know, there's making sure that we count every vote, mm-hmm. making sure that once those votes are counted that the election results are respected, right? And that is, you know, there's, um, for folks who don't know this already, there's a website count every vote and it has local chapters um, and it's really helpful for quick mobilization. I get daily emails from them now. And most of our, a lot of our sort of social justice organizations around the state are connected into that mm-hmm. and are doing the local organizing on it. So the vigil in, on the commons yesterday was organized by 350 Vermont rights and democracy. Um, the root, Mm -hmm. and out in the open. And in other parts of the state, it was sort of much more organized by statewide organizations. Um, But that's a great place to go to know about what will need to happen if we need to mobilize on that stuff. Mm -hmm. But either way, whoever wins, we're gonna need to push really hard against this narrative um, that there aren't enough resources to meet people's needs.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And so that's going to happen in Vermont, no matter what our COVID relief package looks like, um, it's going to be a really complicated tax year. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make sure we're out in front of that, um, that we're really identifying where both where the cracks are and where the opportunities are. So today I spent the morning in um, a government accountability Joint committee meeting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are you writing, Olga? Now I want. Now I want to no, catch you on your phone, but I my phone do that.
0: is over there, set on do not disturb, so I can't see it.
1: Smart lady. <laughs> I turned mine upside down. Um. So I was. I, re- joint... I re-
0: left my alarm on, so it goes beep, beep, beep. So you know you okay. got me already.
1: Okay, good. Um. So I was in the Joint Government Accountability Committee. Meeting this morning. It was the first time. Usually, we're a committee that meets during the off session. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what most of the joint committees do. And since the off session is only two months long this time, um, we have a lot of work to do in a very short amount of time. So that's problematic. That's right. Oh yeah. My gosh. And that's true for the Child Protection Oversight Committee that I had like high, high, high hopes for what they were supposed to do this summer.
0: Um, um, it's true. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: But, um, one thing that I brought up was we need to really identify what are the indicators of our community health that will help make decisions about post-COVID or Mm. um, Mm mid-COVID to really be clear on like what are the cracks in the system that have been illuminated and how are we telling that story to other legislators and so that's a project I'm going to be working on for the next Mm -hmm. month or two Um, because we don't we need to get clear on what our needs are before we yeah. can figure out what comes next. But we know that we need revenues for whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, really need for Vermonters or, you know, Vermont families. Um, I've been trying to use the term Vermont families because I think Vermont Vermonter sometimes has a little bit of a nativist huh, um, okay. tinge to it. So I know that know. Um, Vermont, you know, because there's, you need to have so much permission to become a Vermonter, right? And so I don't know if people always feel included in that term when I say it. Oh, okay. Um, so I know that Vermont families um, really need to be clear that they're, you know, they're interested in having those cracks be closed. They want their unemployment system to work. You know, The ballot referendum in Florida to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour while the state went to Trump, right? Like that's fascinating.
0: That is very fascinating.
1: And so really encourage voters to be really clear with your legislators about like, where are your priorities? Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Just like make sure, like someone will, like people respond to emails, like people, it's real people reading real emails. Like we don't have staff. So just like tell Tell me, tell your legislator, tell the governor, tell the whoever, but like, just take four seconds and say, these are my priorities. Yeah. These are my problems that I want you to solve.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That alone would be extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I appreciate your responses, Emily, because one thing I'm sitting with, and the reason I had a little panic attack when you said the off session is two
1: months. um, Yeah. I was so, that was a really... (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the, most of the joint committees don't do anything very important, so I'm very curious about why you had the panic attack.
0: Well, I have a panic attack because <laughs> I I try, um, you know me, I have an overwhelming sense of responsibility for everything. Um, and, and so I'm, I've been trying to sit with where my reporting needs to focus. Mm. And that feels like such a precious resource for me, especially at the Commons, because we are essentially a full-time staff of three Mm -hmm. and we have some amazing freelancers who help out, but my time and what I can cover feels really limited a lot of the time. Um, And so I always try to think of like, okay, if I need to focus my energy, where is it going to be? What's going to serve the community the most? Um, And, and so I've been thinking about that lately. And so that is in part when I ask that next step question, Mm-hmm. Part of what I'm asking is, okay, so what do I need to tell the community mm-hmm. so it can make the choices it needs to do, express the priorities it needs to express, whatever. Um, and that the election has really brought that home for me mm-hmm. um, about, yeah, how do I facilitate the community in in doing what it needs so it can get its mm-hmm. needs met. Um, And for some reason, that responsibility feels huge right now.
1: Yeah. Did I, did we talk right after Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death?
0: I don't think we did.
1: So one thing that I really took from her passing, um, and I, you know, she's, um, I think I'll probably look a lot like her when I'm old. Um, And I,
0: you know, being, which would be
1: a gift, but like, you know, we just have a lot of sort of ethnic ethnic similarities um, and her story in terms of how she was educated and the opportunities that were available to her are very sort of similar to my grandmother's stories. Mm -hmm. And um, so I I feel a lot of um, perhaps an excess of resonance towards her um, as I'm sure many people do. And that's how heroes work. And so Mm -hmm. one thing that I really was stuck with is um, I come from a long line of women who believe that, you know all the responsibilities of the world rest on our shoulders. Um, and that can be that, like, if the egg cartons don't get brought back to the farm and they're in a pile, like, the world's going to collapse. Like, there's a lot of sort of catastrophizing that comes with feeling like the entire world sits on your shoulders. This is right?
0: feeling very familiar, yes. yes.
1: And, um, but there's also like the real talk part of the entire world sits on your shoulders like you are a supreme court judge and Mm -hmm. like you're passing really important decisions or you are a really important part of the local community media and like you are responsible for citizens knowing things um or you're a state legislator and there's you know a big revenue shortfall whatever it is Mm -hmm. um but i was so sad for her when she passed that she felt that the world was sitting so heavily on her narrow little shoulders that she had to fight death to that extent, Mm -hmm. that she couldn't even let herself pass peacefully, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because she was sort of worried to her last, because she was worried for so long.
0: Yeah.
1: and That she lost track of the fact that she's part of a much broader, swath of history. And that we're also, that the roads that she, the paths that she widened or opened for us, we all have a responsibility to walk down. Mm -hmm. Um, That the norms that she upheld, we all have a responsibility to upheld. Um, And that none of it sits on, it doesn't sit on any of our narrow or wider shoulders. I have quite wide shoulders. I don't really have very narrow shoulders, but it doesn't sit on any of our one shoulders. It is a community effort and a community responsibility. And, I think we need to remember that if we are going to be able to um, live our life with the grace that we deserve and that our, you know, that our loved ones deserve.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Emily. That yeah. was really lovely and poignant. And it reminds me. It's the first time
1: I said that without sobbing, So that's also like a huge I, plus. Thanks I was watching. That. I'm feeling, I'm feeling,
0: um, <laughs> You know, and I think that's pertinent right now, too, because we all know we're in a slightly divided society right now. And when we talk community, we really need to mean it mm-hmm. and we need to live it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe that should be our community resolution for
1: 2021.
0: Yeah. Is is to, to serve each other.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We are out of time. Oh, here on the happy hour um, on WVW 107.7 LP Brattleboro. But before we go, Emily, do you have a toast? Yeah, toast to voting. Toast to voting. May every vote be counted. Here, here. Thank you, everybody. We will be back next week.